just met the director. The head man. Yes, I know. You know already? I knew before. You knew it before that I met him? I knew it before that you were going to meet him. She's the way you guys operate. It's fantastic. Decree absolute. Operate. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. They're frequently dumb, but they're sometimes astute. They're always emphatic on a degree absolute. They're breaking the prisoner right down to the root. That whole TV show on a degree absolute. If you like lava lamps and weather balloons and whack ass inflections from Patrick McGoon, Chris and Glenn made a podcast especially for It's a degree absolute. Absolute. Linda, we should prepare you. Uh, there's a there's a healthy amount of fetishist falter all that happens in the kind of wrapping up to each episode. So sure, you're, you're going to have to deal with some of, of that. Course. And I'm not a prisoner person, so whatever y'all want to talk about, yep. just knock yourselves out. Yep, I'm just yep, gonna... But I do want you, Linda, to participate in the the grading of the preamble it's glenn's turn mm-hmm. to do the okay. preamble so okay. you, you will you'll there's really no explanation here you'll mm-hmm. see very quickly okay. how i like he's going to say some say some stuff and i'm going to give him a score and then you you will score him as oh, well okay. all i need to tell you is that the the best possible score is six okay okay <laughs> we're on a we're on a six point scale here yeah a and six uh, is, like is that like a um so like a Catholic thing where the best score is six, but it's still out of ten? Or yeah, is that it like probably a... is. I mean, I see. Okay. Consider the State source. From the goon, yeah. So it probably is a probably okay. is a Catholic. And we thing. should okay. say, Linda, this is not important, but the rubric we're going with is uh, we push, file, stamp, index, brief, debrief, denumbered, because that is a very classic line from um, the, oh, the oh, prisoner. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, I actually okay. know that. Okay, you do know that. Okay, okay. We we play a little clip of it at the uh-huh. at the top of the episode mm-hmm. to to help orient everyone. I do know that. And you should also know that um, we've been doing this for like 18, 7, 18 19 episodes now, and uh, the well is dry. So uh, I don't know no, how I'm we're going to see the, the dryness of the well and your exasperation about it. They're really the only genuine bits that we have. Sure they're the only, like, the only actual original things that we have is, mm-hmm. is, uh, is this stuff that you're, you keep trying to jettison. That uh, I think we, we should jettison, yes. In fact, in fact, this is not a bit. I think we should jettison it because I don't think yep. there's much more... <laughs> Much more road. All right. If you can come up with something as beloved. This is not an airport <laughs> runway in a Fast and the Furious uh, movie, Chris. This this has... Lo- this 26 miles long. 26 miles long. Okay. Uh, Glenn. Mm, Chris. You are someone who prefers the bombast and obfuscation of The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway to the clean, effervescent hybrid funk of Sledgehammer and Big Time. Oh, this is absolutely true. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Glenn. Glenn. Okay, okay. I thought we already did that one word. Okay, Chris? Yes? You are someone who prefers the arch and angular anti-rock of split ends to the soothing, sturdy melodicism of Crowded House. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to necessarily agree with that, but I, 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 I note them both. Go ahead. I've heard you 
rain on crowded house before. Okay. You, you have talked smack about crowded house. All right. Well, people people evolve. People change. But yeah, split ends is better. Split ends is better. What am I, what can I say? Split ends is better. What I'm saying here is, I you, you are someone just just based on everything I know about you, all the data that I have accrued over over our, our long fellowship. Oh, you okay. seem to be someone whom I would expect to take more pleasure in a confounding, confrontational riddle of a TV show like The Prisoner Mm -hmm. than in a venerable, comforting, formulaic, ultimately, you know, not very mysterious mystery program like Columbo, a show you can just wrap around you like a beige trench coat, and it always, always delivers the goods, always gives you what you want. Sure, I would push back on that a little bit because the formula of Columbo is a uh, kind of genre-breaking formula. It is it, by introducing you to the uh, to the murderer and having the whole thing be about how we solve the crime. That's it's uh, kind of formally innovative for mysteries. So yeah, I, that's why I like it. Me too, pal for life. But uh, doing justice to Columbo's formal innovations and persistent delights is a big task. It's going to require expertise beyond what we can bring. Mm-hmm. And that is why I'm delighted to announce another good guest get, a Triple G. Woo! Please allow me to introduce herself. She is a lawyer <laughs> who became a pitiless television recapper, <laughs> who became a podcast mm-hmm. trailblazer, <laughs> founding host of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, where the takes are always hot and the drinks are always metaphorical. The author of the celebrated novel Evie Drake starts over and a recently converted Columbo file. Your friend and mine, Sunset and Vine, of the time she's a sign, Ms. Linda Holmes. Welcome, welcome, welcome to a degree absolute. Hoot. Hey, stranger. Thank you so much. This is wonderful. I feel like it's so good to run into both of you outside of the show that I host for my official day job. Oh, heck. Oh, heck. Oh. Oh, we have promised the listeners Holmes Unfiltered, <laughs> Linda, and yep. you better deliver. Yes, all the erudition, all the decorum that you so effortlessly display on Pop Culture Happy Hour, right out the window. We'll have none of that. <laughs> I love that about this. It's true. It's true. It's true. All right. Why are we talking Columbo here? Well, the reason is that in 1966, Patrick McGowan, star of the long-running TV spy series Danger Man, resigned at the height of that show's popularity to create a new series about a spy who resigns from government service and wakes up in a mysterious, inescapable village where each resident, well, many residents, are referred to only by their numbers. Reach provocative, silly, and pretentious, ahead of its time, and innately and unambiguously and lava-lampedly of its time. Yeah, that was. short-lived, long-tailed series was called The Prisoner. You were like... A minute too early there, Glenn. Mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm just, I'm just feeling it. I'm feeling the spirit. Uh-huh. And I'll tell you what else. In 1960, playwrights and screenwriters Richard Levinson and William F. Link created oh, hey. a rumpled, seemingly easily distracted police detective character who went through a number of nascent incarnations before finding its ideal expression in the performance of Peter Falk and the 1968 NBC movie of the week, Prescription Murder. <laughs> Oh, Airing as sorry. a series of feature-length TV movies regularly on NBC from 1971 through 1978, and again sporadically on ABC through 1989 through 2003, that long-lived, trench-coated series mm-hmm. was called Columbo. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. The thing that's amazing about your intros, by the way, Chris, the thing that's amazing is that you seem eager to get through your intros, <laughs> which, whereas in most podcasts, when I listen to them, 
I'm eager to get through the host's intro, yep. but they don't seem eager to get through it. No, but you seem eager no. to be done with your own intro, and I respect. I, I am that. trying to get an auctioneer, you know, yeah. cadence. Uh, I respect down it. I wasn't here. sure whether to start singing "It's the End of the World as We Know It" or "We <laughs> Did the Fire." Leonard Bernstein. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, he's someone just actually wrote to us, and they said anybody who would listen to the show would know what's going. So, like by the tenth episode, you don't need to do that anymore. And, yeah, and, not uh, true. It's not like, true. We, we need respectfully. We we appreciate your feedback. We but, need to bookend. No, I'm just I'm I'm just working on my time. And here. you're you're you know, you're, to... you're fighting the 15 second skip button, and I appreciate it. <laughs> well, and I think particularly as you reach into as with this episode, the prisoner expanded universe <laughs> as represented here uh-huh, by uh-huh. several episodes of Columbo, uh, <laughs> then it makes even more sense to make sure that someone who simply is a big Columbo head, we call him trench coat head. Um, is, is, that, we, is that a really? thing we call no. people? Wow. No, no, it Not can't possibly no. be. Yeah. I thought I'm making that was it up. the Jimmy Buffett uh, No, I'm just making it up. But I for the trench coat heads who are just here to talk about Columbo, yeah. it's very helpful for you to at least, at least explain what the prisoner is and how we got here. Yeah. I think they're called just one more things. Maybe we call them just one more things. It's not uh, bad. Maybe what we need is a, a, a portmanteau mm. so that the mm. fans mm-hmm. of both Patrick McGowan and... Peter Falk can make themselves into, uh, you know, the the uh, Magox. Hashtag Magok. Okay, I'm solid piece of business. We're, we're, we're gonna get this going. This is all rich material. We are we are so close to being through the the incredible long. Oh, I'm sorry. Contractually mandated runway. I'm so uh, sorry. The... Go, go no, ahead. No, 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 no. This ahead. is exactly what we want. This is exactly what you what you do here. It's Glenn's turn uh-huh. to deliver the goods. Again, he gets a score uh, ranging from um, six for maximum value. Six is perfection. Below a six is, well, mm-hmm. less than perfection. Mm-hmm. So it's like old school figure skating scoring. Yes. Does he get yes, both yes, an artistic yes. and a technical score? Uh huh. Yes. And you, you, I mean, you have to take into account yeah. all of these things. You all take right. into account Go degree ahead. of difficulty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. May yeah. I add only one thing? The only thing I know about figure skating, which is toe pick, that's the only thing I know about it. Well, if you're only going to know one thing, that's the right one mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. You know? And if you want to know about figure skating, you have come to the right place, which is the private, personal, by hand, punch card driven podcast where we take this unclassifiable and unforgettable television series, The Prisoner, and. Glenn. We push it like Gloria Stibbick having a baby on All in the Family. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm, I'm going to give that a five because it seems era appropriate. And I like I am aware of All in the Family, um, but haven't really watched enough of All in the Family to. Uh, but I mean, maybe I would be an instant convert the way I have become to Columbo in recent weeks. So so five solid five. Six, Norman Lear, Sally Struthers, and Crowning. That's <laughs> six from me. Okay. And that's the only, this is really the only reference in which you're going to get all three of those things. That's true. That's, I, I'm looking down the list here. get all three of those in any other. I get Crowning a couple more times, but not, not usually. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We file it like Secretary Jennifer Marlowe on WKRP in Cincinnati. Uh, all right. Um, also I'm, a I'm six. Gonna... Okay. Also I'm six, give you... Lonnie Anderson, baby. Mm, Lonnie Anderson. So what, what I am divining here is these these are all shows that would be contemporaneous with Columbo. Is that what you're? That what I you're don't know. At? We're only on two out of whatever the hell we okay. are. Okay. Who knows? I'm going to give you another five. All right. You're doing very well. Strong we start. We stamp it like a herd of elephants on Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. 
Also mm-hmm. a six. Wild animals hurting each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, I, I, five. Stick with my five. All right, all right. It's uh, oh. a gentleman's five. We index mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. like Felix Unger alphabetizing his books on The Odd Couple. So that's even a six and a half. Okay. All right. <laughs> that's unprecedented. A unprecedented. Plus plus. Aggressive. Aggressive. And a I like, plus plus. I like the aggression. Yeah. B. Aggressive. B. E. Glenn aggressive. actually uh, gave me a negative 36. I did. Not a negative six, but a negative 36. Yeah. Last episode, which uh, just seems unkind, seems excessive, but because I'm the forgiving sort, not the one to hold a grudge, I'm, oh. I'm going to give you a six. I'm going to give right. you a six for right. Felix Unger. All right. All right. All right. Still not as generous a grader as Linda. <laughs> no, but, that's uh, true, but, but we solid six. We brief it like we're Detective Wojohowicz filling his captain in on the details of an arrest on Barney Miller. Yeah, that's a wow. one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I love okay. Barney Miller. I love precursor Barney Miller, too. To the precursor to my beloved Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah, my dad my dad, my dad, dad and I would watch Barney Mills together, and, and I would sweat about the uh, purse snatchers every time. Yeah, which... yeah, yeah, uh-huh. <clears throat> Wasn't there like, a stereotypical problematic gay character on Barney Miller? There were problematic everything on Barney okay. Miller. Sure, but they actually made Levitt, a character who had been on the show before, uh, a homosexual, as they used to say. They didn't say gay back then. A homosexual. And he was actually incorporated in the whole thing. So while there were purse snatchers who were really problematic, um, they also were given agency and uh, uh, an inner life. And then Levitt was Levitt. I mean, so yeah, it's a, it's a better show <laughs> than you, you think it is. Did you write something about watching Barney Miller with your dad? No, but uh, uh, Dan Savage did. And I that's was like, what it so was. So I just pointed yes. to that because that's because right. I felt like, well, now I can't write this fucking essay anymore because he already wrote the damn thing. <sighs> did, did I already give you a, a, a you five me. for that one? Because I'm going to pump it up to a six. Okay. I'm gonna, right. uh, yeah. I am generously inclined towards autobiography. When you tell us something about you, yeah, okay. By by telling us what you what oh, you no. won't be filed in. No, see, this is the op- this is the opposite of what Glenn wants. Yes, this is exactly. <laughs> the opposite Glenn wants it to be as far from anything uh, personal as yep. possible. Yep. Uh, okay, so de- are we into debrief? We are. We debrief it right. like Tom Bradford and his wife Joan must have done at least eight times before the debut of Eight is Enough. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh. Ding. Six. Love right. it. Wow. Fornicating right. joke about Eight is Enough. <laughs> yep. You're picturing Dick Van Patten in your head right now, aren't you? I am. Don't picture yeah. him with Betty Buckley because she came on in the second season after the actress who played his wife Joan died of breast yes. cancer. Yes. That's true. That is true. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a uh, provisional five, but I'm going to ask some enterprising listener to fact check you on all of this. The air date range of these shows Willie are Ames all... Willie Ames you know, and Adam of... Rich and Grant Adam Rich. Goodeve. Mm-hmm. Grant Goodeve. And, oh, um, Grant Goodeve. Yeah. I agree with you about that oh, one. Oh, boy, Grant Goodeve. This is, this uh, is swagger. You, you are both... And I, I, the girls, I get, I get eh, really, yeah, yeah. It's like the I mean Betty Buckley. I have to like it, right? Because it's, Betty, it's Betty, oh, Buckley. Betty Buckley was lovely on that show. That's yeah, sure. like when I first found out that Betty Buckley was on was like a Broadway legend. Yep, I was like, oh, from eight is enough. <laughs> it's one of those things that you just know pains people to the marrow, yeah. and it's like, yeah. And Grant Goodeve had like he's he's that guy who went to every party and and brought his guitar and sang. You know he was, but still he was hot. Yeah. so you kind of for sure. Pretend for to sure. forgive it. You pretend to forgive uh, it. I, I was sent to review a bad musical at Signature Theater one time called The Fox and the Fairway. And um, I think I spent 60% of my word count uh, expressing the very complex idea that that guy was in RoboCop 2. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> this seems on brand for you. This seems... He was the sleazy lawyer in RoboCop 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Numbered. Numbered. We number it like we're trying to determine how many 
is company or how many days at a time to take? It's, oh, uh, oh, sure. Three, yes, three, three and one. Three and one. I gotcha. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, I gotcha. Now. I gotcha, buddy. Okay. I was. It took me a second, but now I'm with you, no. and I like right. it, and I give it uh, a. I, I don't give it a six. I give it two threes. Okay. Because wow. it, I appreciate that. it is okay. bifurcated. Yeah. Therefore, gave I you, give it two threes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. She gave you the the Christ age at the time of uh, crucifixion. Sure. You know, Glenn, you detract points for sweatiness. Yeah, I do. However, as I, I uh, only today received as a birthday gift <laughs> this book. I don't know if you can if you can read the title we of this. Totally book. can. It is listeners the, can uh, the joy. Please tell the of sweat. The joy yeah, of sweat. Okay. the joy of sweat. Yeah, see, By, and that's why uh, I am Sarah Everts. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. This, this <laughs> is this a current book? It looks the font and the color tells me it's uh, it's vintage. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was, came out six months after the joy of sex, Glenn. I'm sure okay. your parents had a copy of this too. Oh, interesting. As, uh, no, 2021. Oh. 2021. Okay. No, right. it does it have says. that. Yeah. Uh, it does have that retro font, though. It does. It's. It looks like it's designed to fit into the like aerobicized. Uh, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Okay. Well, Linda gave you two threes. I'm. Uh, I'm going to give you uh, a four, a four, and a two. Just okay. to, uh, to you know, because again, Sorry. I don't begrudge you sweatiness the way you begrudge me sweatiness. I appreciate that. And uh, Linda, we are half an hour into this fucking episode. We haven't <laughs> even talked about yes. Columbo yet. So, so, right. so all, all Welcome, you need Linda. to know before Welcome, we can Linda. do this is that our inquiry into this unclassifiable and unforgettable series is not of a degree elementary. Nope. It is not of a degree mercurial. No. It is not of a degree jejun. Oh, oh my God. I love jejun. Go ahead. <laughs> what is it, Glenn? It is a uh, degree uh, absolute, Chris. Resolved. The motion carries. Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> so we're talking about the episode of Columbo called by Dawn's Early Light. Uh, do you have the air date of this, Chris? Do you have the, the, the date and time? 1974. Okay. I will mute the sounds of my keyboard tapping. Chris Clickety. wasn't alive yet, but Clickety I was. Yeah, I was. <laughs> no, I was, no. a, was a six-year-old. I was a toe-headed six-year-old looking up, playing with my Batman uh, action figures. Most of 1974, I was a three-year-old. Uh-huh, uh-huh. This checks out. Until mm. late in 1974. <laughs> October 27th, 1974. Okay. Right before I turned four years old. And uh, this wow. was the uh, ABC mystery movie, the CBS mystery movie. What, what was it? At that Wasn't time, it NBC? Because it, it, it switched networks, right? Yeah. I believe it was NBC at that time. And NBC or no, movie. it was ABC at that time became NBC later. It switched. Okay. I believe ABC and NBC are the yeah. two relevant networks. That's what the Columbo Wikipedia page says, but okay. I have not sourced it any more deeply than that. I don't think you need to. <laughs> <laughs> For our purposes, Chris, I think we're good. And I will say, although it is not determinative of this question, because we haven't mentioned it yet, you can find Columbo uh, over at Peacock. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peacock. Streaming on the Peacock. What you can't find, however, is the uh, opening credits to the mystery movie, the ABC mystery movie, the NBC mystery movie, which is just a dude uh, against the sunset shining a flashlight as he walks toward the camera with this amazing music, which I hope we can find because that said to me <laughs> I'm joyless and friendless and I'm home on a Saturday night or whatever the hell it is <laughs> and hooray here, and here I am here I am watching this guy very again good, very good you've spoken of how uh, whatever public TV affiliate in the Philly area it was WPBI that, that, right yeah. no that's channel 6 
W-H-Y-Y? The one that reran the prisoner. That was W H Y Y. Philadelphia. Okay. Right. okay. Yes. I'm David Bean Cooley. Yes. All right. Philadelphia. Tonight, starring Rock Hudson and Susan St. James as Macmillan and White. Whoops, my bad. That was the introduction to a different series that appeared as part of the NBC mystery movie slot, which initially included Columbo. I always heard Susan St. James was amazing as wife. A role she played for five seasons until they killed off her character, wife, and then retitled the show Macmillan. Jesus Christ, I am <laughs> aggrieved on her behalf. Tonight, starring Peter Falk as Columbo. All right, so we open on a hallway. Uh, Let's absolutely do the play-by-play, scene-by-scene recap. Well, I think we're going to skip ahead here. My thing is <laughs> that this his apartment is so fucking depressing. You get a handheld camera down this depressing... Yes. Blank wall hallway past a really depressing bar. It has a creepy Swiss guard like head on it. That's like I don't know what it is. It's like could be a picture. I don't know. Wait, Into so are we talking about Colonel Lyle Mumford? We're calling about now? We're talking. I think it's Rumford. 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 We're talking about yes. Colonel Colonel like Lyle Rumsfeld. C. Rumford, right. who's the commandant yeah, of this academy. I think it's Rumford as opposed to Mumford because <laughs> it's not band- amazing. The band Rumford and Sons made a lot of very depressing music in the yep. 1970s. It, it, yes. <laughs> uh, so we watch a pair of hands uh, fiddle with a mortar shell in ways that are up to no good. He's removing gunpowder, or it's not actually gunpowder. We learn that later. The real-time jimmying of uh, some kind of yeah. shell. For mm-hmm. the, it takes several minutes, right? It, it is... takes so long. <laughs> well, and, I, sh- and I, want to, I want to point out, uh, although I am skipping ahead, yeah. there is a later... Columbo episode featuring Patrick McGoon that begins with him taking apart a bullet and emptying out the That's stuff true. that is in the bullet. That's I just true. watched that one. Yeah, Two yeah, yeah. different times <laughs> you open with him dismantling carefully a piece of ammunition. <laughs> and I must admit, I thought, is this an intentional callback or just a big coincidence? Yeah, yeah. Um, And a bunch of people wrote to us and they they insisted that these episodes were full of little sly references to the prisoner. And I mean, all I have picked up on is that in the 1975 one that Magoon directed, the first of, I think, the three that Magoon directed. Identity crisis. Yes, identity crisis. He does say be seeing you a couple times. Yeah, and and I, he's playing a secret agent. But let me former. tell you, and this is probably as good a time as any for me to reveal my my lack of a relationship with the show, The Prisoner. I always, when I've heard about The Prisoner, I believe at some point I I received a promotional critics copy of a box set of The Prisoner. That's been oh, years man. ago. I don't think I have it anymore. Wow. I always thought I'm not going to get it mm-hmm. in the same way that I didn't really get. Star Trek, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, I am not a person who is good at understanding how they built worlds on television in the 70s. And anytime it's like, this takes you into a bizarre world of, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to get it. I'm going to be <laughs> completely confused the entire time. And as soon as I started hearing you guys talk about this podcast, I was like, yeah, I wouldn't understand this. I listened to your first episode and I was like, yeah, I wouldn't understand this. Nope, There's yeah, absolutely nope. no chance I would understand this. So I have no relationship with this show, but, um, but, 
he's great on Columbo. Really I will is. tell you that. He's yeah, great yeah. He'll guest clearly, star on Columbo. What he projects more than anything in, in any role, and, and I haven't seen everything that he's done, but one very consistent point of all the Magoon performances that I have acquainted myself with is this sort of imperiousness, this superiority, this condescension yes. that uh, he expresses in all these <laughs> different ways, and that's the pretty typical Columbo murderer, right? It's always some upper-class yes. person, always mm-hmm. in some kind of an arrogant person who clearly thinks that this you know, rumpled, unassuming detective can't possibly get the yes. goods on him. And... But but and and before I before I dive too deeply into that, I I think I want to give Glenn a chance to do what I think he was going to do and sort of explain what actually happens in this. <laughs> no, I mean I have so many fucking notes on this thing, and we're not gonna we can't go yeah. through it because each of these things is an hour and a half, yeah. so we're not gonna do it. What I will yeah. say is that um, his kitchen is depressing. That's all I want to say. It's he's got true, a, and he's I, got a floral I, border that will take years off your life along the top. Spartan. Yes. So Spartan. Sad. He's a military man. And I so think that sad. his being a, a sort of a sad character is part of the story, right? Sure. You, yep. He is the, I don't know, leader of men, commandant, whatever he is, at a military academy that is currently all boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and going to stay that way if I've got anything to say about it. It essentially begins... Uh, he goes out and dismantles this, as Glenn was saying, this uh, mortar or whatever it is, piece of ammunition that would be fired out of a ceremonial cannon. And it is, there is a ceremony that is going to happen, but before the ceremony can happen. And you got to remember, if you don't, if you're not familiar with Columbo, you see like 10 minutes of show before you ever see Columbo. You Uh just see the crime happen. So he gets up in the morning, he goes out to the... Uh, he goes out to the sort of the field where the cannon is, where later the ceremony will be. It's very, very, you might say it is by dawn's early light that he does mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. He goes out there. He fucks with the cannon. <laughs> he, and while he's fucking with the cannon, he meaningfully looks up and sees that one of the, uh, some of the cadets have dangled a jug of whiskey out the window, which I guess is part of making whiskey. I didn't Cider. know that. It, this this uh, Cider. does not okay. make any sense, but yes, okay. they only hang uh, it yes. out at night to Boozing, soak up boozy, moonlight. They're, because yeah. why? they're making hard cider. It seems so much grosser in... and more difficult than just like smuggling in some beer somehow. Yeah. But they, but, they, it, but it's all key yes. to the to how Columbo solves it. Right. Things. So so uh, Rum, Rumford Rumsfeld Rumson whatever his name is uh, uh, Rumford Rum, Rumford Rumford Lyle Lyle Rumford 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 No sons. Um, He has them, but he doesn't speak to them. Meaningfully sees this thing of cider hanging out the window. Now, you've got to think of, if you haven't seen it, this guy is like, in most shows, this would be a guy who is about to do harm to himself, right? Because Hmm. of the very hangdog way in which they're showing him going about this day. Mm -hmm. But they go, they start, they have the ceremony, and when they set off the cannon... Naturally, the cannon blows up and uh, it kills a, I don't know, one of his dudes, one of his guys. The son of the guy who founded the academy or or something. And when he shows up and when this dude shows up, he is basically Alex from Josie and the Pussycats. He's got the tinted Foster Grants. He's got the sideburns. He's got the paisley tie. He is both chewing gum and smoking. So naturally, he has to die. He must He's die. the guy who wants this military academy to kind of change with the times. Mm-hmm. And you know what that mm-hmm. means, mm-hmm. girls. Mm-hmm. He wants it to kind of modernize <laughs> itself. Meanwhile, Donald Rumsfeld and Sons 
um, does not want it to change with the times. He wants it to stay as it is. Oh, my God. He looks so much like Rumsfeld. He looks like to, Donald Rumsfeld. You're he? right. Yeah, he does. To the point where... And, I mean, Rumsfeld ahead, was in government at this point, right? Uh, this was before... He was uh, one of those guys who came back to the yeah. Bush right. W. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. So he blows you. up... Well, so he blows up the... Uh, he blows up the c- cannon. And when the cannon explodes... Foster Grants is killed. Uh-huh. And so then Colombo shows up to try to figure out what happened because they instantly know that you might need a murder investigation, which means they in- they instantly know that your ceremonial cannon didn't just blow up, which is what I would have assumed. Yep. Like, the ceremonial cannon is probably 500 years old. And this is what people uh, say. This is what many people who are around the, yeah. the ground say. Yeah, it was yeah. just an accident. They're like, course. it's just old yeah. accident waiting to happen. But Colombo finds a piece of cloth and sets off on a journey to figure out what happened, which winds up including, among other people, oh, there's a kid who is a screw-up, who Donald Rumsfeld and Sons hates, who's, like, been at odds with him. Cadet Springer, he's been suspended twice already. He has more demerits than I can count. Well, what do you think, sir? You think he's the type of boy that, uh, you know, his mind is somewhere else he could forget, leave a rag in a gun? If anyone were capable of such an irresponsibility, it could be Cadet Springer. Maybe I'd better go talk to him. McGowan is blaming this kid, saying that he was in charge of cleaning the cannon because Columbo has figured out that this is a cannon cleaning cloth. <laughs> he put his cannon cleaning cloth in the cleaning the yeah. cannon. Yeah. The kid says, well, that's that's gun yes. oil on the rag. So they establish that it's a kid right. who would who would know. He would yes. recognize the smell, the, yes. the texture of the, and the, the oil. Uh, but I think McGowan's character capitalizes on this as a way to say, oh, well, it must have been his fault. Because pretty quickly, Columbo figures out that the the cannon had been stuffed with wadding. When you fire a cannon during a ceremonial occasion, I know that you don't use a regular charge. You use a, uh, a blank charge. What is in a blank charge, sir? Sodium nitrate and cotton wadding. Cotton wadding. Cotton wadding, as Mugwin as, uh, says, cotton wadding. Really a, a term that I just enjoyed hearing over and over <laughs> just, again. Yes, I know. Cotton wadding. Especially when it's delivered um, in that kind of flat, nasal, we Midwestern we accent. We're talking about wadding, I feel. Wadding. But, um, yeah. And when you get into the specialized vocabulary of, of guns and explosives, it's all kind of yeah. rewarding like that. It's all sexual or goofy sounding. It- and meanwhile, we should say... And then we can talk about it a little bit before we do any more plot. But we should say that at the same time, Columbo, as always, is assisted by Bruce Kirby. Uh And here's the thing that I did not understand. I did not understand the whole thing here that the guy who is Bruce Kirby was named Bruce Kirby or that he was the father of Bruno Kirby. Bruno Kirby in the house. Which you can tell partly because Bruno Kirby is in this Little tiny baby Bruno Kirby <laughs> is in this as one of these screw up cadets, and, and I believe Bruno Kirby is credited here as Bruce Kirby Jr. Yeah. Oh, it he, could very well he, be. I think he is. Yeah, yeah. and I and mean, he's, he's very he's, recognizable. But. He's involved in this whole cider scam uh, situation. He's <laughs> like cider house rule the, flouting. The guys are all running around in their robes and their slippers, doing spy mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. and seeing who's up to what and what everybody's doing when. And uh, that's the first chunk of plot that I remember. What am I yeah. forgetting? No, I mean, well, Columbo asks if he can stay in the dorms mm-hmm. with the with the mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. And even though this 
the show sets it as some like military academy in somewhere in L.A. because they heard it over in Torrance or wherever the hell. Uh, <laughs> it was actually filmed at the yeah. Citadel in what is that North Carolina or whatever. It's like hmm. the the actual might be South Carolina. Might be South Carolina, it's... but like it's it's so that's so it's not in uh, California and yeah, uh, you know. <sighs> The the colonel, um, uh, as played by McGowan, has that flat nasal accent. Um, <laughs> he also has the same uh, kind of hand tick, this kind of like jittery thing that the prisoner has. Um, and hmm. uh, it's it's so much fun to see Bruno Kirby. When he, uh, the colonel is ex- gives a speech to the people after the uh, person was blowed up real good, that speech would not fly today. He gives it in the chapel, and there would be... So many grief counselors and trauma specialists and encounter groups, and he just says, "Well, get over it. We're good." Which is yeah, just it's so... like the same morning. It seems it's, it's the same he's morning. Just kind of like I mean, he well, he does no. cancel activities for the remainder of the day. He's not entirely heartless. But... I shall miss him, as I know you will. But we must not allow this tragic accident to divert us from our purpose. We must be certain that his untimely death will spare us all to greater determination and dedication. The rest of today's activities are Let's zoom out here. My favorite part of any Columbo episode is the moment when you see that Columbo has narrowed in on this guy because yeah. of something. Um, mm-hmm. That, because, I mean, between you and me... The moment when, at the end, when he says, your car was dry and it rained that night. Like, that's not something. Rules of evidence just fall away here. And everything everything is very, very squishy at the end. Yes. So this is why that is not satisfying to me. Because as soon as, like, he says, yeah, I did it, or or not even that, like, then... Cut to credits. Like credits drop down yes. immediately. Yeah, no, I, but I, I mean, as someone who yes. no, no, okay. So Linda, you you just started with Columbo last year, right? You wrote a piece mm-hmm. about this where you you called yourself the last person to discover Columbo, which mm-hmm. um, you, yes. you you got there before I did. But yeah. I think but I wrote I, about I, it in our in our newsletter. Yeah. Uh, NPR.org/slash/popculture/newsletter, which you can uh, subscribe to. It was last summer sometime. I I think it was November. It was I mean uh, you know oh, a particularly dire no dire name. moment. There's a lot of uh, frightening news happening, and you you could see the appeal of of something that is as as uh, formulaic and satisfying yeah. as as Columbo is. Yeah, but all this stuff was surprising to me. One, the fact that Columbo he says in uh, Identity Crisis he says that he doesn't even carry a gun. Yeah. Um, I yes. noticed that every time he is going to interview these felony suspects who he already has you know at least an inkling that they're guilty like he never brings any backup with him he never has any patrolman with him in case the guy attacks him or tries to flee or, no. or, or anything and um, yeah the like the implication is that once he confronts these people with the means by which he has ascertained their guilt they just confess. <laughs> well, well we, yeah well, and so so this is one of the things that I think makes Columbo really different is that because mm. Columbo is, I mean, if you think of it as a detective show, then normally he would be handing off the person to the police at the end. Mm-hmm. But because he is the police, you kind yeah. of short circuit that. And if you compare it to a cop show, then it has wildly less cop stuff. Mm-hmm. than most cop shows. He doesn't right. have a partner. I mean, he mm-hmm. does have Bruce Kirby, who is around quite a bit, off and on. <laughs> Always complaining about Always having to do just normal detective things, yes. like interview suspects. He yes. complains about it but so much. <laughs> he doesn't have a partner. He doesn't have a boss, 
as right. near as I can right. tell, almost <laughs> yeah. ever. Nobody's chewing he him just out. Has, he just <laughs> yeah. has his shitty car yeah. and his <laughs> coat. And Only three his in the country. Cigar. And he just goes around and talks to people. And I think it's a production. It's obviously a production preference that when you get to the end, as soon as Columbo catches the person in the lie and reveals the lie, it's like, boom, the thing is over. (laughs) Sometimes, particularly in the Magooan ones, Sometimes you get a kind of a somewhat mournful monologue from mm-hmm. the person that essentially amounts to, I should have known I was never going to fucking get away with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but sometimes he'll just say in other episodes, like sometimes Columbo will just be like, well, if that's what happened, then who left the door open? And, and the person will look defeated and it'll just be like, credits. <laughs> is over yeah. very quickly. That ended and escalated very quickly. That is an, like another way in which this show is is just the anti prisoner in that yes. the you know the prisoner which like solves nothing res- resolves nothing. It's just the riddle. And Columbo is set in this this universe that's so knowable and orderly that every last thing can be explained. In real life, who the fuck knows who left the door open, right? That's yeah. not... Uh... Sometimes, yes. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes the door is just thing. open. We don't well, know. And I will say, particularly, I think, in the second one that Magoon was in, in Identity Crisis, there mm-hmm. is a very nice exchange in which, if you've ever seen A Few Good Men, and I know... Mm-hmm. Many of you out there have. There is a very good scene in which you think Tom Cruise is going to get Jack Nicholson, but Jack Nicholson keeps having very logical sounding explanations and answers for the first few things that he tries. And that's why it gets so tense and it seems like it's not going to work. Because the first few things he tries, the guy actually has answers. There is a nice exchange, I think it is in Identity Crisis, where Falk is coming back to McGowan and being like, what about this? What about this? And he's like, well, naturally, I didn't do that. You know, it has to do with the opening and closing of the blinds mm-hmm. in the office. Oh, and yeah. he sort of says there's a whole thing where, you know, that is this. And this is one of the things Glenn's talking about. Like, that would that's not going to get you convicted. You no. know what I mean? But there's a whole back and forth between them in which Columbo basically says the fact that you were there's a sound of you closing the blinds means I know that this was at in the morning and not at night. But there's and blinds in every window. Every window. Every window behind him has blinds. <laughs> but, this be is, those. but this is a big, Ugh. like, this is a big piece of evidence. And it is yeah. ultimately what gets him to go in to begin <laughs> right. to break down. But the first couple times he asked him, he's like, you know, I can tell that you, that it was not uh, night, it was morning because of the sound of you you closing the blinds and Magoon's like I closed the blinds for privacy Uh and he says well but you're on the third floor why would you have needed privacy Uh Uh, and he's like oh you know there's other office buildings people can look in the window and Uh Columbo's like yeah but it was if it was but if it was eight o'clock at night then nobody would have been in those office buildings and he's like why not I was in mine why would you require privacy well there are other buildings in the neighborhood higher buildings but they're all office buildings, sir. There's no one in them at night. But this is an office building. I was in it at night. Why should not other people be in their offices? Why don't you play the tape, carry on from there, and you will see that, in fact, it had to be night. These are good answers. Yeah, and those I are like good answers. the You're fact right. that for a while, 
there's an exchange where he doesn't immediately collapse the minute he's presented with any evidence that anything that even tends to look incriminating to suddenly be like, I admit it, I did it, which is how some of these people behave. But I think the Magoo characters in general and, and Donald Rumsfeld, Don, Donald Rumsfeld uh, and Sons is like this. Yes. And so is the guy in Identity Crisis. They tend to be a little tougher about not instantly admitting that they're guilty the minute that they sense that Columbo has zeroed in on it. It could not have been 11 o'clock in the morning. You can check with my secretary. Let's get back. No, sir, it couldn't have been at night. Couldn't have been night. Also, in the, the in the identity crisis scene that you were just talking about, where it says all this this stuff about why would you open the blinds or not, um, this is the scene where McGowan is wearing his sunglasses in his office. So, yeah. I mean, if we're talking yeah. about how much glare there is, or whether or not you'd be moved to open the or close the blinds, that's. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's a difference in these characters in that that uh, Rumford, the commandant of the military academy, he basically wants to confess because he thinks he was justified in killing yes. this guy, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And he even says, like, I'd do it again. You know, don't yes. expect me to be contrite. Yes. Whereas, um, because of girls, it's a totally fucked up principle, but it's a it's a principle. He's an he's an ideologue. Right. Mm-hmm. No more reluctant mama's boys, no more four F's, no more section eights. This country is going to have the best damn army in the world. And Haynes Military Academy will be a part of it. Whereas um I don't know what Brenner is. That the name of the character in in uh, well, Identity Crisis? Code name is Geronimo. Which uh, <laughs> no, I think yes. Geronimo isn't Geronimo the Leslie Nielsen. Okay, guy? and his code name was. Oh Columbia. boy, I want to spend more time on on Leslie uh, Nielsen with his shirt Patty. unbuttoned uh, most of the way, and uh, just Leslie Nielsen being a tough guy. You know, this he, is before that's what airplane. He was doing then. Before, that's he that's was. who he was then. You can see him in a few different things doing this I kind didn't of thing. Know. Where he was like a. Where he was like a serious, I think there's a couple <laughs> Twilight Zones, maybe. Oh, like he boy. was a straight, he was a straight actor before he became the Leslie Nielsen of the police yeah. uh, squad. I've seen Forbidden Planet, which is when he is, you know, young hottie, right? Mm-hmm. But but this Columbo episode is kind of in the middle where he's got the white hair that we're going to associate with Frank Drebin and he was airplane a journeyman. And- he was a journeyman TV actor before he got into this super broad comedy stuff. Yeah. First things first, Nelson. Now, as I remember, we had a certain currency scheme going on down there in Banana Land. 300,000 Frizeros, as I recall. Supposing I told you that I was broke. Double agents don't go broke. They die sometimes, but they don't go broke. Oh, come along now. That theory about my being a double agent, so you know there's no fact in it. Agency doesn't deal in facts. Only rumors, and I have a lot more than rumors, Nelson. Oh, man. And then the establishing that these guys are both operators because yeah. they just kill it at the rifle shoot the ducks booth at the... Oh, yeah. In Identity Crisis. Yeah. Yeah. This is a super dumb minor thing, but I mean, a, a number of movies have done this. For example, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, a movie that only I like. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think other people like that movie. Okay. Well, but it's it, it, like it shorthands that Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie are both secretly secret super spies because they're both so good at shooting the little duckies and the. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And I mean, I feel like like these rundown little amusement park attractions that everyone has their grubby hands on all day long. It's a, probably not a, a an accurate predictor of what you could do with an actual firearm that you, nope. uh, as a professional assassin, nope. would have carefully maintained and all that. But no, it works for the audience. You know, we buy that uh, only an elite super spy could shoot those 
those duckies as yeah. well. Yeah. So. All right. So we're we're gonna we're gonna throw caution to the wind here and widen out and talk about both of these okay. episodes together because we're not. No, gonna I want to get more summer. glanular. More. I was trying to say granular, yeah, but I said glandular, said, and yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with glandular. If I'm throwing glandular. off your plan here, I apologize. There is no plan. We have okay. such a minutely plotted plan. But here is even the believe thing, it. right? It's so, glandular. It's glandular. So here is the thing. Like so, um, it, my favorite part is when Columbo clocks in on the dude who did it. Yes. And in and in my dawn's early light, it's when it's not when, but it's like Patrick McGowan says, Who's this person here? You should kick him out. And of course, like so there, boom, done. And every time when we get the big reveal of how this is how you did it, this is how you did it, it's always very and all four I've seen all four of these McGowan episodes and I've seen many other Columbos. It's always squishy. It's always perfectly deniable and it's just not satisfying. You'd think when the show is premised on, we're going to show you who did it, and then we're going to find how he catches them, that that would be airtight. And it never is. It's something like you close no. some blinds or there was a dry spot underneath your car, which only I saw. And I cannot, I cannot testify. To, I can testify in court, mm-hmm. but there's no physical evidence to it. It's like all that stuff. It seemed like I remember watching this as a kid of yeah. like loving this because, you know, boom, airtight plot traps. And they're just not. They're They're not. not, But what Columbo is typically able to establish pretty convincingly is you're lying about your version of what happened. Mm -hmm. Is he typically able to establish for sure that you killed the person? No. But he can usually establish your story as you told it is a lie. Now... Sometimes, I would say, so in uh, By Dawn's Early Light, his big gotcha at the very end is that he figures out, we mentioned that uh, Rumford saw the cider in the window uh, before he fucked with the cannon. Columbo attempts to prove that the only time he could have seen the cider squishy it's very squishy is in a in like a 15 minute period <sighs> after six o'clock in the morning after he woke up and before the kid pulled the cider back in the window which he did before you know which they do before the beginning of the day for some reason and and so his argument is, in order to have seen it, A, it had to be right at this moment, and B, the only place in the entire military academy from which you can see this bottle of cider in the window uh-huh. is standing right next to the cannon. <laughs> therefore, you were standing right next to the cannon at this particular moment. Therefore, you fucked at the cannon and you killed the guy. You see, you can't see the window from here. The tree's covered. That's the only place that you can see the window. You have to be standing directly in back of the cannon. Should I go on? Done a very nice job. There are like a million reasons why that doesn't work. That doesn't work because the guy would be able to say like, I mean, the, the the kid's gonna say, Yes, I brought it in at five twenty or six twenty-five exactly. Uh-huh. Like, no, of course not. <laughs> Maybe the kid brought it in late. 
maybe the guy i mean there's no such thing as a place where the only place you can see a window from on the entire academy grounds <laughs> is yep. this one spot standing next to the canopy. Yep. they do the best they can to put a lot of trees around it so that there's just this narrow little space you can uh-huh. see it through but if you've ever looked through a bunch of trees at something you know <laughs> that typically there's a few spots if you walk along a straight line in some direction there's a few different spots or if you just go somewhere else entirely <laughs> or if you just say you know what I must have seen it on a totally different day at a totally different time. I have no idea. I don't remember when I saw it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Cool. I, I, again, Columbo, this is like it's done. the appealing fantasy of there being a completely orderly, knowable universe, right. right? And I think in Dawn's Early Life, I buy it a little more than I do in the other one just because of the nature of the Rumford character. Like, this is not a man right. who is comfortable ever saying, Oh, I could have been mistaken. Oh, I'm not sure what time I was there. Expressing any kind of uncertainty about anything to him, no yeah. matter how frivolous, is weakness, right? Yeah. So he can't stand that. Yeah. You know, it kind of works. I think. In all of these, and probably in all Columbo's, right? Even though you have that great moment where he figures out something fun, and a lot of them are a lot more fun than the cider in the window thing, in <laughs> fairness. They're not airtight, but they are Think, think how much less, less fun it would have been if it was not Bruno Kirby. Yeah. They are less squishy. I think many of them are less squishy than this one is. But the pleasure of the episode, to me, is the interplay between Falk and Magoon. Yeah. And it's really the same relationship in all four of this these episodes that McGowan mm-hmm. did, even though the characters he's playing are very different. You've got this by Don's Early Light one where he's the military academy commandant. You've got Identity Crisis where he's a secret agent and a much more kind of like cool dude. Like, yeah. you know, he's got the sporty jacket and the, you know, it's a it's a kind of a Lee Majors kind of oh, vibe good a good little pull, bit. Good pull, good pull, yes. Then you've got one where it's a it, – then you skip ahead to the ones that were on in the 90s. Right. And so Columbo's much older and McGowan's much older. But he plays a uh, he plays a guy who uh, is tangled up in a political campaign, wants to be attorney general, winds up killing Paul Buckman's father from Mad About You. <laughs> yep. um, and – so he's the killer in all four of these, right? Mm-hmm. Then in the last one, he's a funeral director who kills Rue McClanahan. Woo! Not only is he a funeral director, but they say that he is a, a British actor who came to the yeah. U.S. to get a fresh start and became a funeral director, which is a little, you and know. And he does, he does um, celebrity funerals. He does, like, <laughs> famous person funerals. Rue McClanahan is a gossip columnist. Sandra Bullock. Stephen Boschko. You oh get my the God. big name. When they said Sandra Bullock, I was like... Columbo was on at the same time that there was yeah. a Sandra Bullock, but um, Columbo saw speed. Could that uh, happen? <laughs> she so Rue McClanahan's a gossip columnist. She figures out some kind of dirt on this funeral director. He kills her naturally because he's a funeral director. He kills her and <laughs> cremates her and mixes with up that the ashes. same exactly the same stroke with which he killed Leslie Nielsen. By the way, that sort of backhanded like yeah. Yep. There's like the yeah. Well, with with the tire iron, and I gotta <laughs> say. I got to skip back to the Leslie Nielsen one and say, here's the other thing about the Leslie Nielsen one. He kills Leslie Nielsen under a pier. Uh-huh. <laughs> here's the thing about TV. They call it Mugger's Heaven. Yes. Right? Don't it's like, like the fact that Thomas and Martha anyone. Wayne were shot in Crime yes. Alley. Who could have predicted? Don't go with anyone under a pier. <laughs> Nothing on television that has ever happened under a pier has been good. 
It is implied in that episode that there are also people under the pier who are fucking. Yep. But for the most part, on television, if you go under the pier, you die. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I you know. on top of the pier. Yes. When McGowan has to explain that he didn't put Leslie Nielsen's coat back on after he took it out because he was interrupted by some some young lovers. He looks uncomfortable in a really delightful way. It's almost as good as in the the one where he's the funeral director, where he has to explain that he was over at Sully Kellerman's house giving her some some late night grief counseling. Mm-hmm. Grief counseling. Oh, man. If this guy was not so famously a prude, that would not yes. be so funny. Yeah. But in all of these episodes, there is this relationship between Falk and McGuin, where they have this kind of grudging respect for each other. And that is not true of every Columbo by any means. Hmm. I assume that I, because I, I, I haven't seen them in a long time. I was assumed there was this cat and mouse thing. That's the it, show. I mean, it's cat and mouse, but there's a, there's a little bit more of an elevated sense that these guys at some level understand each other and... Particularly that the McGuin character understands and respects this cop. That is not true of all mm-hmm. Columbos, mm-hmm. right? It is true of some, yeah. but it is not true of all. And there is a chemistry that they have that particularly in By Dawn's Early Light is very, I think, somber, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you get the sense that what has happened to this guy is just very depressing. His life is very yeah. sad. Mm-hmm. In the later ones, it's less that his that their lives are very depressing. Like, funeral director guy seems to have a fun life. He's fine. Um, He's doing well. Political campaign guy is, yeah. you know, playing around with all sorts of uh, character actors of the 90s. Mm-hmm. And even secret agent guy... You know, when he's not got swagger hitting when he's not hitting Leslie Nielsen, he's out there going to bars. He's hanging he's out. He's got like, like he lives in Hugh Hefner's house or something yeah. like there's a pool party going on yeah. in his house on a Sunday. Like, he's dressing up as Steinmetz. He's having a ball. Yeah. Oh, that's true. There's <laughs> a there's a whole subplot that involves right. uh, the identity crisis uh, McGowan character dressing up as a, a very old man. And the right. LAPD and I, I was having few... the best sketch artist in the world. Like, that sketch yeah. artist captured from but just... But the way that, that the um, the guy who who uh, they hired as the go-between, the guy the guy who McGowan was hoping to pin Leslie Nielsen's murder on, but yes. then the, the, the way that that guy is kind of berating the sketch artist for not getting it right, I, I thought that was a funny scene. I yes, I that. think it's funny, right. too. I think it's funny, too. I look. I love. I appreciate Columbo greatly yep. as a as an entertainment, and I think Falk is. We barely talked about Peter Falk, but I think he understands so well the what the assignment is. Yeah, that's true. Your hairline is receding. How stupid of me! What strikes me, sir, looking at you now, fifteen years later, is that you now have a healthy crop of hair. Luxuriant. I wear a piece, a hair piece. That's what I told the art guy down at headquarters. I said, figure this hell to be bald. And working on that assumption. Sir. Somehow I never get tired of watching him play essentially the same scenes with people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never get tired of him playing the kind of like, and the, you know, the joke about Columbo is always the just one more thing, mm-hmm. you know, where he sort of comes back. It's like, I got one more thing I want to ask you about. But it's more than that. It's this kind of general sense of, you know, he's a he's a hustler, right? He's a rope-a-dope 
detective where he just right. sort of sits there and well i don't know if you know this chris but i know a lot about boxing and so <laughs> what i'm referring to is a strategy in which you just kind of sit on the ropes and you just kind of like let the person punch you in let them wear themselves out yeah and wear themselves out that's kind of what Columbo is like as mm. a cop. Do you agree, Chris? He's so non-confrontational. Yes. To, to the point that even when even when he's almost certain that he is talking to the guilty party, he's still calling them sir. He's still being very obsequious and, and yes. polite with them. Like, he does not present any kind of aggression at all. But then, right. But then sometimes in the middle of, like, a fancy party... He'll be talking to somebody and he'll be like, you know, I just came over here to ask you a question. And the person will try to give an answer. And he's like, because I think you killed him. <laughs> and then it'll just be like, okay, you have no backup. Right. You have nobody here to even take exactly. him to jail. Why are you, you're getting out of, over your skis a little bit here. Getting Colombo. over the skis because it's like, just lawyer up. Just, a little. I'd like to speak to a lawyer now, please. Never happens. Well, Never exactly. happens. Yeah, you, you wrote in your PCHH newsletter about, you know, your delightful discovery of, of Columbo. This is happening at a time when we were all reevaluating our relationship with cop-based entertainment yes. in the wake of George Floyd and all that. And I, I mean, of course, Columbo is entirely absent, all of those excesses of... Uh, I'm, I'm realizing this as I'm someone who grew up watching like Miami Vice and the cop shows where I don't think they ever even arrest anybody. They just blow away the bad guys at the end of every episode. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. As I said, it's more of a detective show than it is a cop yeah. show mm -hmm. in um, in structure. And so you don't typically have... For one thing, Columbo spends almost no time on people who aren't guilty. Like, yep. he spends essentially no time pursuing... <laughs> this is not Law and Order. Right. Anybody <laughs> else. You don't chase down It's, ex it's exactly right. right. It's mm -hmm. not Law and Order. They don't go out, and he doesn't get the wrong person and do whatever he right. wants. They're very careful to make it so that you really only ever see him going after the right person. Right. And... The other thing people will talk about with Columbo is he's usually going after rich, uh -huh. powerful yeah. people, right? If you think about the people in, in that we've been talking about here, you know, one is a guy who's in line to be attorney general. One is a celebrity funeral director. <laughs> one is a secret agent. And, uh, you know, one is this military military commandant. These are all people who have power. And right. in other one cases, it's often people who have a lot of money. A lot of Columbo episodes are about rich. There's one that involves like a rich guy and his sister and somebody gets shot. And I can't even really remember what happens, except mm -hmm. that she wears a lot of fabulous 70s clothing. Mm -hmm. But he's rarely going after poor people, black yeah. people. Mm -hmm. Even then, he is usually investigating, arresting, getting, catching rich white people. Which I think, oddly, if that were true of Law and Order, they would step on their own dicks a lot less. Yeah, you know what I mean? True. Like, and it's true of Law and Order a lot. I don't think that Columbo or the people who made Columbo or certainly seventies cop shows were any more enlightened than cop shows now. No. This no. just happens to be a show that was usually about the wealthy and powerful being brought down because it was a contrast with the way they would consistently underestimate this kind of grubby cop. You know? And they were drawing from 
a cast pool of people just slightly above the people who would appear on Love Boat. Like it, it's yes. just slightly above. So you're Dick yes. Van Dyke's, you're Robert Fawns. And this yes. is my this is my only gripe with Peacock. Usually, from most cases, as you're scrolling through, the villain is the guy in the in the image that you can see of what this episode's about. When it's Columbo, it's like, what are you doing? I no one yeah. is going to tune into this episode. <laughs> I want to see. Oh, this exactly. is the one where he wears the trench coat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that one. <laughs> it has to be like, oh, it's James Coco is the murderer. I'm not, I don't know if there's a James Coco episode. It's right there's probably a James Coco episode. I have there's never seen Johnny Leonard... Cash act in anything, so I need to see yeah. the Johnny Cash episode. There's Absolutely. certainly a, Le- a Leonard Nimoy one where he's of a very course creepy, there is. He's a very creepy doctor, and uh, the the fundamentals of the Leonard Nimoy creepy doctor Columbo <laughs> have to do with the use of, if I'm remembering correctly, dissolving stitches versus permanent stitches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love and this. there's a, there's a whole. It's a very Columbo-y kind of thing. And and it's Leonard Nimoy, and, well, and he's you know if you've only ever seen Leonard Nimoy on Star Trek, this is a very 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 different Leonard Nimoy. And first of all, the um, the one that's with Rue McClanahan, and he's the celebrity, um, the funeral celebrity guy. funeral director. And this is just a weird coincidence; doesn't mean anything. But the name of the character is Eric Prince, same name as the Blackwater guy, yes. who's like Michelle DeVos's brother yes. or something, right? That. that and actually, I think it might be it might be the uh, the where he's the attorney general hopeful guy. But whatever it is, it has this intro that no other episodes have, which is so 90s. You see Lewis mm-hmm. Gutzett Jr., you see just this <laughs> Yes, that was very confusing. I was like, wait, is he in this? Because uh, it was yeah. like an anthology series, right? So it's like yes. the way that this, And yes. so it's just this amazing font. But yeah, I think... Uh, I, I, but there's, I, there's also a black cat and also a creepy doll. So I was like, wait, is this, is this also why, sometimes a supernatural we, thing in this slot? Where's that coming from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, it's so good. It's so of its time. It's so of its moment. And you're right, Linda. It's like, how many times was a woman, even a white woman, the murderer? Sometimes, sometimes. There are are a few. There are definitely some. I couldn't give you an exact number, but there are definitely some. Okay. Um, But I would agree with you. It's not a ton. I want to say I think there were more women murderers on Murder, She Wrote, interestingly enough. Yeah. which would make a certain amount of sense, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, a lot of the time, Columbo was was bringing down rich dudes, politicians, mm-hmm. um, you know, business dudes, uh, celebrities, um, you know, s- children of celebrities, children and kind of side goons mm-hmm. of rich and powerful people. And it is a amazing time capsule in a way because you've got an hour and a half that you're dealing with right because it was this was a two-hour television yeah. movie so it's an hour mm-hmm. and a half with commercials yeah. so for instance the funeral director one we spend a surprising amount of time describing the technology of the fax machine it is there is <laughs> that is a, a really lot there's a weird lot <laughs> and fun and weird uh segment it just um, goes on and on but, and on but yeah, but there's I mean, something I think... really hypnotic about. I love the pacing of these. I lo- like in the uh, in Dawn's Early Light. Like, how many times do we refer back to the blueprint for this? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, there's supposed to be a door there, but there's mm-hmm. no door. But this, uh, they do that yes. three or four times, not once. You mm-hmm. know, and, yeah. and I, I don't know. I found it kind of charming. <laughs> but it's, I mean, you do. And I just pulled up this um, this list of Colombo guest stars, okay. which I will not read in its entirety because <laughs> we're here that. all day. But um, you know your your biggies. In addition to McGowan, your biggies villain wise are Jack Cassidy, uh, <laughs> the father of um, 
Sean Cassidy yep. and David Cassidy, yep. by the uh, way. Wife of Shirley uh, Jones. Jack Cassidy, who has a w- wildly amazing mustache mm-hmm. in certain photos <laughs> of him that I encourage you to look up. And yep. Robert Culp, who's in a couple of different... Uh, Robert Culp is in uh, Robert Culp is so in several. Sense. Um, you know, Janet Lee is in one. Vera oh. Miles is in one that I did watch where oh. I think... I can't remember if she gets killed or is the killer. It says here Martin Sheen is in one. I forget that, mm-hmm. but I... I watched a whole, whole bunch of these. The problem is it's all, like, flown directly out of my head. No, sure. But, um... Is there a Shatner? Suzanne, is there a Shatner? There's, there's got to be a there Shatner. There is a Shatner. Uh, Roddy McDowell. Of uh, There is... So there's one where... Look. Roddy McDowell wears pants so tight. Mm. I'm shocked he was allowed to wear them <laughs> on primetime wow. television. Uh-huh. They are, if I am remembering correctly, it is Roddy McDowell who wore the pants... That seem like they wow. should be obscene pants. Um, yep. Vincent Price is was in he in one. Caligula or was that Malcolm? McDonald? That was Malcolm McDonald. Don't remember. <laughs> Wore the same uh, pants though. I don't know. Those pants were in Caligula, ones, whether the actor was or not. There are certain ones where it's like it's obvious that this person was in one. Like, of course, George Hamilton. <laughs> no, yeah. You know, of course, of course Dabney Coleman. <laughs> like, of course, Ricardo Montalban. Like, yes. it's it was the time. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's they do have a really good rotating group of middle-aged, mostly middle-aged yep. white character actors, or not even character actors, but sometimes people who Here's you know, what I'm gonna big do. or I'm... were going to be This big. is how this comes back to the prisoner. It's, <laughs> it's like the American, Southern California version of the, the pool of actors who could be cast as number two in a, mm-hmm. in a prisoner episode. Here's what I'm going to do uh, before this episode comes out. I'm going to create a Venn diagram. Of, uh, one circle is uh, Columbo guest stars, and the other circle is Muppet Show guest stars, and we'll see. <laughs> I, 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 I know yeah. there's right. going to be a You are committing to creating some, some original content for Julia our Prowse. Instagram feed. Some. Yeah, there's definitely going to be some. Um, Rula Lenska. Who knows? I want to say, I think Roddy McDowell was on the Muppet Show, wasn't he? I don't know I if he was. I feel like maybe. <laughs> I don't know if he was. We'll Again, see. it feels based on the time, like Roddy McDowell should have been. I mean, Vincent Price, definitely. We are... Mandela affecting him into the Muppet Show let's, if he let's, wasn't. Let's it's narrow. true. It's really true. I got this book, Not a Number, Patrick Begoo in a Life, by Rupert Booth, simply because I was looking for some material uh, attesting to a close friendship between McGoon and Peter Falk. Oh, good. I'd like to, I'd like to know that happens. Well, does all it, it says, it basically mentions that McGoon does Dawn's Early Light, wins an Emmy, mm-hmm. uh, and this, this kind of revives his career in, in a bit of a slump at this time in 1974. And we should say, this was back when you could win a guest star Emmy without being someone dying in a deathbed on ER. Like, that's, that's, there, was a, there was a chunk of time when that's how you won a guest star Emmy. But now, this is before that. October 1974. Mm-hmm. Secondly, and probably of equal importance to McGowan himself, he was to develop a long-lasting friendship with Peter Falk. This had the added benefit that he was asked to appear in the series again and again. Okay, we've got this already. McGowan had thoroughly enjoyed his experience on the set of Columbo, finding Falk to be on a similar wavelength, as well as passionately committed to the quality of the show. He was delighted to be asked not only to appear in, but to direct the episode Identity Crisis in 1975. In 1977, speaking to TV Guide, he spoke of his experiences. (laughs) One of his greatest friends in Hollywood is Peter Falk. He says, he is a rebel like me. It's the one TV show... I've worked on where they give you time and money to spend on quality, which, I mean, the whole thing with him and uh, Lou Grade and The Prisoner, right, was that he was taking too long and spending too much money to, yep. uh, on, on each episode. In 1991, speaking with Howard Foy on The Box, uh, reflecting on his uh, collaboration with Peter Falk, 
uh, on all these Columbo episodes, he says, it's the best way to work because it short circuits the complications of having a lot of writers and a lot of people making decisions. Just the two of us get together and what we decide, that's it. It's a very simple way of working and the best one I know. And it's very rare one has the opportunity to do that in episodic TV because, you know, the old sausage machine is in, out, in, out. This would have been more fun if I'd tried to do it in a McGuin accent. I was going to say. But at least with Peter, you get the chance to prepare properly and debate before you get to actually shooting. So by the time you come to shoot it, you've decided what you're going to do and you just get on with it. Uh, This goes on to say that that Mirguin would refer to Peter Falk as the only person to whom he would ever say no. I don't understand how that's a reflection of their closeness, but uh, maybe Uh, it's a sign of respect. It's a sign of respect, I think. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then here's a totally unsourced uh, paragraph that I'll just just read just to be salacious and uh, blame blame Rupert Booth since he put it in his damn book. Uh, Unfortunately, both were known for their drinking, and there are various rumors about their outings as drinking buddies overindulging to a worrying degree, each encouraging the other. All right. Thanks, Mr. Booth, you, <laughs> you sleaze merchant. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sourced it. So, I mean, uh, no uh-huh. jury in the world. Rup- no Rupert the Booth. World. Yeah. Rupert yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to imagine these two guys at uh, Musso and Frank. <laughs> Just knocking them back. Yep. I'm preparing to send you guys a picture of these pants. Okay. Please do. <laughs> Appreciate it. I am, uh, let's see. Okay. You should right. have the photo. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay, there it is. So we're going to get to react to this I in, in yeah, real time. That. I mean, the shirt is a thing to react to. Wow. But, but yeah, you can see. Uh, that is uh, it's like leaning. the scene in, in Spinal Tap where Christopher Guest is going through the metal detector. Yes. Oh. Yep. Right? And he, here's the uh, thing. He if, you, left. If, you, if you look at Google... <laughs> I mean, not just left, but like 90 degrees. <laughs> anyway, anyway yes. my point is this. He dresses sundial, yeah. <laughs> if you Google Roddy McDowell Columbo, mm-hmm. one of the autofills is Roddy McDowell Columbo pants. Wow. Because these pants are that famous. Yeah. Wow. They yeah. are that famous. I just want Legendary. to make it clear I am not just a vulgar person. No, like, no, no, this no. This is no. something many. I did not take that screenshot. It is already on the it's, internet. And I, it's, I, there's a lot it's to It's in the Library at. of Congress. It's been selected as yeah. being culturally yeah. significant. Yeah. There's a lot to look at here, uh, listeners. There's, there's the pants. There's the bulge. There's the pinky ring. We, we'll put this it, up on it our distracts, it distracts. Instagram. Um, and also the cuffs on this shirt are basically gauntlets. Mm. They are amazing. They are yeah. amazing. They are Wonder Woman's uh, magic bracelets. They are. But just remember... The person attached to that is Roddy McDowell <laughs> in Columbo, in an episode of Columbo. All of a sudden, his longtime friendship uh, with Rock Hudson makes a lot of sense. This is way before DVR or Instagram, right? I mean, we were just less less concerned about all this stuff. But I feel, well, I'm not going to elaborate, but I feel like with that, maybe somebody on set would have been like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> Someone I mean, watching this on their 13-inch black and white TV is yeah. definitely going to uh, see which way the wind is blowing on, I mean, on set, yeah, Roddy. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hire an actor named Roddy. You know, what do you, what do you think about it? It's, I it's really right feel like I have dragged your podcasting <laughs> to the gutter, and I apologize for that. Again, um, tangent tolerant, and, and actually there, there, is a, there is a connected tissue here. One of the prisoner's key creative people, David Tomlin, was, of course, the first AD on Donner Superman on a, many other famous films. So that is how I can squeeze in the anecdote about how um, there, was, there was apparently a continuity person who was uh, charged with making sure that Christopher Reeve's briefs were 
aligned in the Continuous. same way from, from shot Doll. to shot. We're, yes, Ken, we're he was, Doll as much you know, as possible. Yeah. I mean, he was in the leotard for like a year and a half shooting that yeah, movie. Yeah, no, it's you know, true. So. It's true. It's true. I mean, I think that kind of superhero costume, like before they became hard plastic, like mm-hmm. from head to toe. <laughs> right. I think that kind of superhero costume was somewhat unforgiving in that regard. When they released uh, Brandon Routh's Superman costume, the first like promotional shot of that costume, yes, people were talking about how it was textured weirdly and the S was wrong and there was an S shield on his belt, which doesn't make any sense. But most of the talk was about the bulge. Most of the talk was yeah. about the, mm. the size, the position, the relative yeah. length of it's the bulge. Interesting. This is almost a decade after Schumacher Batman, though, right? It's like we'd, we'd been through all this before. We've, we've, yeah. We'd already had the codpiece discussion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but here's the thing, and I... Look, wandering somewhat far afield. No, this is good. This is good. Punch card driven, tangent tolerant. Brandon Ralph would have been a great Superman if he had had more opportunities to do it. Mm -hmm. In, like, I think he could have been a great Superman. Mm -hmm. I am such a fan of that guy. I think he is so good. I am only partly biased by the fact that he is in my literal favorite Hallmark movie, but he is also a hot hot man who i think would have been a terrific superman and i am sad that i did not get several brandon routh superman movies well i hope this experience hasn't put any of you off flying statistically speaking it's still the safest way to travel yeah, if they steered into his, if they steered he's, into he's his a lot of fun in Scott Pilgrim. A yes, couple years yes. after that, which mm-hmm. steers into his innate goofiness. And I think if you if you go past somber, which is what uh, Superman Returns was, and and steer into the goofiness, I think I think you are you're onto something there. Yeah. What is the Hallmark movie, Linda? Oh, the Hallmark movie is called the uh, Nine Lives of Christmas because uh, oh, it's about wow. a woman. Just from that title. I'm just going to ask you. What do you think these people bond over? Uh, there's, a, there's a cat. There's a cat. In- yeah. Uh-huh. Huh? There's, there's a kitty. Cat. There's a cat. She has a cat and is yeah. studying to, I think, be a vet. And she has a cat that she loves whose name is Queenie. And oh. he <laughs> is a firefighter. And he finds a cat who needs a home. And he, he adopts this cat whose name is Ambrose. <sighs> and so there's like this side plot where Queenie and Ambrose are becoming enamored of each other. Mm -hmm. And so then he and this woman, they kind of become enamored of each other also. And like I said, he's a hot firefighter Mm -hmm. and uh, she's a vet student. And uh, it's really quite very, it's it's quite charming. They're really kind of both a little too good for the script probably, but the script isn't bad either. It's my, it's my literal favorite. And he saves a cat in it. You don't mean it's your favorite out of like eight or nine, right? I mean, you have a serious investment no, yeah. in Hallmark no, it's movies. A, this it's, is... a, it's my favorite of of very many. And by the way, there is a uh, there is a podcast called It's Christmas Town, which uh-huh. is all about Hallmark movies that I uh-huh. recently appeared on and uh-huh. uh, covered one with the hosts there. Covered one called uh, You Had Me at Aloha, <laughs> and you can take a shot at figuring out where that takes place. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um. And, you know, if you want to find out more about the resort where they shot that movie, you can find out more about it at HallmarkChannel.com and potentially win a trip there, apparently. All that went through my my mind when you said that title. I went immediately to Cameron Crowe 
and um, sure. isn't there like there's some was it Emma Stone who was cast as a native yes. Hawaiian and yeah. it was a big yeah. scandal yeah. like yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. I mean the whole thing is like you had me at Aloha is like a whole you know it's got to be very triggering yeah. for him yeah. uh, <laughs> right. but um but yeah, it's a it's a, it's a Hallmark movie. And he saves a cat in it, just like Christopher Reeve saved a cat in uh, Superman the movie. So it all it's, it was fate. It was all it's true. Fate. It's all one right. thing. And, and then we hear the sound of, of that little girl's mother smacking her, her after yeah, yeah. she says that, that she saw a man flying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, that's true. That's yep. true. So here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Who would you rather have available to help you in your day-to-day life? Your actual day-to-day life, mm-hmm. Superman mm-hmm. or Columbo? Uh, I think Columbo would be more constant. He'd be there for you. I think Superman is just, he's going to be distracted. He's got too many yeah. things going on. I yeah. think Columbo becomes dedicated. When he's about you, he's about you. Um, the smell yeah. of the cigar would bother me. Um, <laughs> yeah. The fact that he doesn't ever tell anybody his first name seems to me to suggest he's got some intimacy issues. Um, yeah. He also doesn't tell anybody... The name of his wife. Um, so that's this where I wanted to know. Like, is she real? Does she exist? Well, didn't wasn't there eventually a thing, and it was Kate Mulgrew and oh, uh, oh well, see, I, I, I think eventually. Know this. Hang on, hang on. Yeah. If I'm if I'm making this up and mixing up Columbo and Star Trek again, then highly <laughs> illogical. Yeah. Yeah. That's my wife's favorite piece of music. I know. That's, I know. That's one of the best Magoo I know. That's my wife's favorite piece of music. I know. You have Yeah, yeah, wife. yeah. So Mrs. Columbo Mrs. was Columbo. a show. No, there was uh, a spinoff? The Wife of Lieutenant Columbo. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Uh, stars Kate Mulgrew as a news reporter helping to solve crimes while raising her daughter. Oh, okay. Oh, both the series and the eponymous character herself were renamed in an attempt to change direction hmm. <laughs> okay so apparently so she divorced Columbo yes wow uh, he's he's married to the Kate job Columbo, I, mean, I think that's clear series overview and again this is Wikipedia and then yeah, sure. wrong but Kate <laughs> Columbo later renamed Kate Callahan after an off-screen divorce wow. is the wife of Lieutenant Columbo the title character from the television series Columbo Kate is a news reporter who solves crimes while raising her daughter. Uh, wow. The show, the information NBC released about the show is unambiguous about the fact that Mrs. Columbo in the new series was, in fact, the previously unseen wife frequently mentioned on Columbo. The show received poor re- ratings, however, and as part of efforts to revamp it, the linkage between this Kate Columbo and the Mrs. Columbo of the original television series was reduced. The name of the character was changed to Kate Callahan after a divorce. And the series was renamed Kate the Detective, followed huh. by Kate Loves a Mystery. Yeah, mm. that's terrible. In its ultimate, wow. in this ultimate incarnation, the producers completed their retreat from the show's original premise, and Kate Callahan was then regarded as being a completely different character from wow. Mrs. Columbo of Columbo. Kate's ex-husband was now named Philip, <laughs> but it still didn't. Played by Jack Cassidy. It has been. <laughs> this is the this best a Fast and Furious level this, of retconning this is the going best on. Part. It has been speculated that an additional reason for the character revision is that Mulgrew was aged only 23 when the first season was broadcast and perhaps younger still when it was filmed, meaning that when Columbo originally premiered in 1968, the detective was married to a (laughs) 12-year-old. 
<laughs> like Bill Wyman was the Rolling Stone who married his longtime girlfriend when she turned 18. Peter oh, Falk expressed his disapproval of the spinoff, calling it a bad idea and disgraceful. When Columbo returned to the air in 1989 on ABC, it was further established that Lieutenant and Columbo and his wife were still happily married. And the existence of the series Mrs. Columbo was effectively ignored. However, in one episode, and again, Wikipedia page, in one episode, Columbo commented, a woman's been going around saying she's my wife, but that isn't her. Wow. <laughs> wow. Petty, wow. petty, 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 petty. <laughs> I, I don't know. I thought there was more to this. I, I thought there couldn't possibly be. More than I just gave you? No, no, I don't mean that. No, I mean, I, I suspected the existence of, of like the Byzantine <laughs> Sokka that you just you just laid out. You know, when he's telling Bruno Kirby, that, oh, yeah, I, I had a girl who gave me an ID bracelet like this once. And then I run into her several years ago where she still had it. I'm like, okay, this is a sad man. Uh-huh. This is a... Uh... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will say one thing that I thought about a lot when I watched Columbo and then when I was reading about Peter Falk and stuff is how rarely <clears throat> Peter Falk comes up in conversations about really prominent actors with disabilities because mm-hmm. Peter Falk has uh, a prosthetic eye, mm-hmm. um, which you'll which you'll you'll clock as soon as you kind of start watching Columbo, I think. Mm-hmm. But like when people talk about like famous, you know, well-regarded acting performances on on kind of mainstream television by actors with yeah. disabilities. I think it's very rare for anybody to bring up Peter Falk. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong about that, but I don't know that I've ever heard it mentioned. Mm-hmm. And it is, in fact, a uh, a very big, very successful portrayal um, by a, an actor with a prosthetic eye. I just yep. think it's interesting. Yeah. I just think it's a it's an interesting like bit of you know side note. I, I can't say I'd ever really taken note of Magoon's flesh-colored eyebrows until Glenn gave them a lot of uh, yeah. a lot of airtime earlier in our <laughs> our series. So yeah, uh, he's but an, it's not... he's an odd-looking dude, and yep. I think it's interesting how like in the two earlier episodes in the earlier run, he's like one kind of like slickster '70s dude. Yeah. But then in the later ones, he's like this. Um, he would have been, and it, it makes sense because of the timing, and also because Rue McClanahan's on one of them. But like he would have been. Like a, a slickster scheming one of the Golden Girls. Like he's got this sure, whole, sure. Like very dignified, like ultra dignified, yeah. suit wearing, white haired, mm-hmm. like kind of thing going on. Yep. He kind of turns into Steinmetz in an interesting way. It's true. Yeah. He really yeah. does. Mm-hmm. He really does. Steinmetz! Ah, <laughs> oh, dear old friend, Mr. Steinmetz. That's marvelous. Very clever fellows. Which I, when you texted me that, I didn't get it because I hadn't seen the the later ones yet. Yeah. You know, so I was, uh, yeah, I was a little confounded. But it all, it all made sense in the end. It all ties up. So, Linda, uh, uh, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, you have. You, you pulled some threads that I that I didn't have. You you found the connective tissue. You found the the through line here of these four episodes. The first one he didn't direct, but the last three he did. Correct? Yes. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. I believe that's right. Um, and apparently he had a very good and very collaborative relationship with Peter Falk. They just, according to what I read, you no, know, which is all very third hand, but according to what I read, they just <laughs> took to each other. Yeah. They just took to each other instantly and really liked each other, and and that's why they they kind of kept working working and, together. Yeah, that's Sorry, good. To encourage ahead, one another to uh, to drink to excess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, allegedly. Glenn, Glenn, Rupert, Glenn, what were you saying allegedly. about how I am great? Thank you. No, I, uh, this the, the, that you were great. That's that's uh, it's a given. But yeah, it's and I don't know, it, um, it, like his uh, his directing style in those last three episodes, because this particular show was such an institution and because television uh you know the sausage grinder <laughs> things go in and out 
there's not a lot of room for auteur qualities there but it this is solidly directed like like this is it's not showy in the way that a lot of some of McGowan's prisoner episodes are. I did post that one weird shot from Identity Crisis to our our Instagram where McGowan is tailing Columbo and he and he calls him out at the gas. It's the scene where Columbo is like counting out his pocket change to see mm-hmm. how much gas he can put in yes. his car, and McGowan just gives him ten bucks, and then Falk comes over and weirdly sticks his head all the way into McGowan's car, like it's a shark's mouth or something. Mm-hmm. And then the camera is now in the back seat. <laughs> and we are looking over the shoulder of McGowan in the driver's seat at this really weird upward angle at Falk, who is, I don't know, these these people are positioned like no two people having a conversation have ever right. arrayed themselves in relation to one another. What can I say? It's on our it's on our Instagram feed if you want to yeah. see what yep. I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. But but yeah, that's that's the exception. M- mostly, it's just he's he did the job. He 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 hit his marks. He did the job. Yes. Um, and yeah, uh, and you know, very rarely do we get the idiosyncratic, actorly excess of his weird locutions that he demonstrated in the prisoner. Um, mm-hmm. But occasionally, oh, but but he off. but he does it in Identity Crisis a fair amount. A little bit. Not, a little I, bit. Yeah. yeah. Are there any other Columbo murderers, any of the other repeat offenders who, who you think, Linda, have the same kind of chemistry that Magoon and, and Falk do not, together? Not really. I mean, I think it's it's really, as I said, it's Jack Cassidy and, and Robert Culp who are sort of regarded as the other yeah. like really good Columbo killers. And you can understand kind of why that those would both work also. Because, you know, Jack Cassidy has that real, like, I don't know how much you know about sort of what his on-screen energy is, but it's very, like, it's very, like, slick Mm -hmm. film producer (laughs) in a movie about filmmaking in the 70s. Do you know what I mean? It's like he would be the, he would be, like, the guy with the flashy car, but, like, also very rich. And it's, he has a certain energy that I think also works for Columbo. And then, you know, Robert Culp is just a for one thing just a really reliable actor but mm-hmm. also has that sort of kind of both haughty and hapless in mm-hmm. a way mm-hmm. energy that i think works very well with colombo so i think they're just our individual actors where the energy just matches really well i will say i think and this is again something where i think you get um the influence of the fact that magoon was also directing the magoon episodes are particularly you know the uh, identity crisis because it still was in the this kind of 70s run but mm-hmm. there are episodes of Columbo that have the most amazing layouts of 70s fashion and uh-huh. interior design uh-huh. um when i was watching columbo during uh the pandemic i was taking a lot of shots of the tv just to be like look at these <laughs> pants look at this woman's <laughs> caftan there's uh-huh. one where it's like f- it's like four people at an art gallery. One of them is Vic Tabak from Alice, yeah. I remember. <laughs> but I can't remember who the other ones are. And he's like a guy at an art gallery in like a, you know, sh- shirt open down to his belly button. Mm-hmm. And all the, you know, one of the women has like a big caftan and another has like a very shiny dress. And there's also one with, um, there's an episode with, uh, who's the woman who played Webster's mom? Do you know the actress who played Marcia, Webster's mom? Marsha. Su- no, Susan. Susan. Um, it's Susan something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Alex Karras and Susan, whoever she was. Uh, anyway, she 
shows up as this hot young like sort of hot young thing and she dresses so amazing in this episode <laughs> it is so 70s and there's also one where there is a woman who has an ice bucket in her living room with like playing cards on it awesome. and i loved it so much it is so so 70s Somebody sent me a thing on eBay that was like, you can actually buy this ice bucket. And I didn't, but I almost did. Uh. Uh, and I only didn't because I don't need any more stuff. But, like, it's um, it's amazing. It's yeah, again, amazing. again, uh, uh, time capsule. There, The office, uh, McGowan's office in Identity Crisis is so co-op the musical with the brown and the beige and the brown and the beige and the brown. Yeah. Uh, it's got a glass top desk. There's a rattan divider. That is propped up against the wall. That's not dividing anything. <laughs> it's just sitting there. These floral the curtains. These floral curtains are brown. They are brown floral curtains. A big mm-hmm. ass ugly plants. A table lamp that's basically a Cylon, as far as I can tell. That I kind of want. And this, this is where he's telling Columbo what mahjong is. Yes. That, that well, no, it's no, it's okay. different. That's that's his that's his home. His office is the one that has the giant elephant tusk on his oh, desk. Oh, of course. Right, 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 right. And the blinds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the right. blinds, of course. And that, right. so that is this, you know, like to have a, to display an elephant tusk on your desk. This guy's not good. He needs to go. He needs to go away. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I got to say, for as cut and dry as these mysteries are, I, I didn't actually understand what the bad guy was up to in, uh, an identity crisis. I mean, I guess he's, he's like he's playing both sides somehow, but like he killed yeah, Leslie Nielsen and lied to his boss about it. I was again, confused. I think right. it's much less about finding a coherent answer to the thing and mm-hmm. much more about catching an individual person in a lie. <laughs> yep. Like it's much more about figuring yeah. out like you're not telling the truth yeah. about how this person was killed because of the blinds. And then yeah. that's the end. <laughs> like you don't have to actually understand why yeah. he killed. All Leslie you got to know. Yeah. All you got to know is that they're both agents who got into a scheme together down in banana land, which, Oh, I mean, come on. Like that's yeah. not a thing that we say now. No, people don't no. say that. But they're yeah, they were both agents, and no, then we, we call it Corto Maltese, please. Yeah, and yeah, there's so. there is a thing, there is the whole thing with with what's his face, Steinmetz, Steinmetz, Steinmetz. There's Steinmetz. the old man. There's also a whole thing that involves the the boss who the, uh, who and, Columbo keeps calling what the top man. Yeah, like and the there's yes, man yes. Like the CIA there's the ridiculous. Oh, that's the one where they right where they talk at Travel Town in Griffith Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like they're having their little top secret confab in Larry the train, and then the mother is. It's Larry Tate from Bewitched. <laughs> I just love that that scene ends with the mom who's been waiting with her kids to get in the train. She's like, "Hey, can we get in there?" Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um. I think as Glenn was saying, it's not a show where you want to really focus on finding the very conclusion to the mystery totally satisfying. But he will Uh prove, like, if you go in and you're like, that guy is kind of (laughs) squirrely. At the end, Columbo will prove that you were right to think that that guy was squirrely. Yep. Squirrely. Even if it's Robert Vaughn, which it often is. Robert Vaughn. Well, of course it's Robert Vaughn. I mean, again, that's (laughs) one where, like, how could there not be Robert Vaughn? (laughs) Yep. (sighs) Yeah. But it's I mean, like, Columbo can present as a little squirrely too, right? That's a like sure. I, I mean, he doesn't. He, he's very reluctant to show his badge in uh, Dawn's Early Light when he's he's questioning that girl, and she's like, "Are you sure you're a cop?" And yeah, he's like, that's yeah, not, none of that yeah. is good. None of that is that's weird. Oh yeah, and when they're and when there's when she has a whole thing about like, and he's like, "Oh, just tell me like where she is, or tell me what she looks like." I if I were her, I'd be like, takes yeah, no, a long gonna, time to identify himself as a yeah. Miss, can you tell me what she looks like? So are you sure you're a police officer? Absolutely. 
Sure doesn't look like a police car. Uh, if you could just give me a rough idea. Is she tall? Is she short? Is she blonde? Brunette? Well, she's kind of average, I guess. Like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to tell you what she looks like. And I'm actually not going to tell you where she is because I don't understand why you're here in yeah. this crappy car, mm -hmm. like, coming up asking me where my friend is. <laughs> you look like you've been sleeping in that trench coat forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I like the fact that in the 90s, he still has essentially the same car. I have no idea whether there's some hand-waving about how he still has the same car that was an old beater then, 20 yeah. years later. Uh -huh. But uh, but I just like the fact that he's still driving around in a crappy... I don't know if it's the same car. Please don't email me. Yeah. I don't know if it's the same car. I'm just saying, like, a, like he still has the beater. 20 yeah. years later. I feel like that's a legit Los Angeles thing. That's like, like so many people drive these weird old European cars that you have all these like specialty repair shops for people who need specific parts that haven't been made for 40 yeah. years. And... Also, a Peugeot is not a beater. Also, please don't email me about that either. <laughs> we do not drive. have the numbers required for you to get people <laughs> hey. emailing. Hey. Yeah, I'm just saying. Oh, it's come on. A, we get a... we get lovely correspondence. It's we not certainly a, do. It's but... not a numbers game. Well, no, but it's, you know, it's definitely true that there's such a thing as, you know, you get to the point where enough people are listening that some of them are mean. And mm -hmm. if that has not yes. happened to you yet, then bless you. <laughs> All right. So so looking at the extended Magoon filmography, Linda, if I were to, to offer you a choice between A Time to Kill, the 96 John Grisham. Is he in A Time to Kill? He's in the trailer. <laughs> and I think he's a judge. I, oh. I have... Yeah, and I, I mean, definitely, like, if I saw that movie, it was okay. before I knew who Patrick McGoon well, was. Well, that's the thing. Me, so, too. I, I just right. wouldn't have clocked who he was. Right. We also have Baby, Secret of the Lost Legend. Oh, God. Which is uh, Sean Young that. and William Catt are, like, scientists who discover a dinosaur, and apparently this is, you know, this is only six, seven years before Jurassic Park, but no ILM, no no Stan Winston, no Dennis Buren, so apparently this is a film, reputationally, I have not seen it, that is entirely undone by its laughable dinosaur effects, but... Uh, Seems like it could be kind of fun. Or The Phantom. Oh, uh, with oh. Billy Zane. With Billy Zane. Billy Zane in his brief window of hotness. Yes. Yeah. Brief? Well, I don't know. Did something happen to Billy Zane? Was he not hot for a long time? I don't know. Um, he, he had a window. Everybody has a window. I never thought yeah. much of him as an actor, but I, he certainly seemed like it's a. It's the you know. Titanic, uh, that, Twin and. Peaks. Um, good, good sweater. And on when Twin he Peaks. was in uh, Only You with Marissa Tomei, a mm -hmm. movie only I like, but <laughs> that I like very much. And he's very funny in it. Mm -hmm. And Robert Downey Jr. is very funny in it. And most importantly, Bonnie Hunt is very funny. Oh, of course it. she is. That's her job. That's what she does. You can count on her. I love her and everything. But, yeah. uh, but Patrick McGowan is not in it. No. So what, what do you think, Linda? Time, time to kill? Or, or, yeah, uh... time to kill for sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. We will, we will see you back here for a time to kill. I feel like I just, this is uh, like an MLM. Like you agree to do one and at the end they're like, right. so what's yes. the next? What's You're the next in. one you're going to sign up for? This is how I, I'm keeping Glenn here from. No, I'm happy. To, <laughs> I'm happy to do a time to kill. I love a time to kill. I like that movie actually. That's uh, I, when McConaughey mm. was going to be a completely different guy than he turned out to be. Okay. Uh, Never seen it, so I'm not looking forward to it. But I will. I will do it. The uh, level of promotion that McConaughey was getting when that movie came out did not yes. seem to cohere with his filmography. Or... I think he's good in it. I mean, it's a legal drama. Which is overestimated because of the high drama of illegal drama and because it was Grisham. Mm -hmm. But at that time, it was this guy, Matthew McConaughey, is going to be in, like an Oscar winning actor, right? Then he started to make the stuff that came after that. 
and yeah. some of the regrettable rom-coms that he chose mm, and um so so for a long time he wasn't the guy they thought he was going to be and then he did true detective and he was the guy and i right. think there were things in between but also things. uh dazed and confused was that his first thing as 93, I think it was the first thing that he popped in. I don't think yeah, it's the first thing he it was certainly, in at all. It certainly could have been. And that was sort of, that was not, it put him on the map, but in a different way from yeah. A Time to Kill. Like mm-hmm. it didn't have the the mm-hmm. way A Time to Kill made people be like, oh, next great American actor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I still think was an over, you know, statement based on that movie. But he's good in it. And mm-hmm. some yeah. other people are good in it. It's also very early, perky Sandra Bullock. It's very, you know, it's early kind of fun Sandra Bullock um, it's the, the, the sort of speed era. Um, now, Chris, is there any housekeeping we need to do at the end? We always forget to do one or two things that we do at the end of each episode because we are big time podcast professionals. Are we, is there anything we're forgetting? We do have some mail. I mean, we can save it. We can, we'll we can read it. it. We can, we'll save it. We don't want to, okay. we don't want to waste precious Linda's time. So we can, we can I do mean, that. I don't care. You can certainly read your mail for, uh, all I care, but if you want to save it, you can save it. And I say we save it. We people on tenterhooks. Oh, right. Okay, okay. I mean, people they send us emails with the reasonable expectation that at some point they will hear their own words read back. It's like them. a Bickerson's uh, podcast, you guys. And have they here. will. Here's the thing, Chris. They will at some point hear their words read back uh-huh. to them. Just maybe uh-huh. not now. Right. Okay. Now that we're done with our run of just regular prisoner episodes, we never know quite where we're going next. I am pleased to be able to announce that Alexander Petri, who, who I initially met as a, as a playwright, as a, as a very funny uh, playwright who had something funny in the Fringe Festival every, every summer here in D.C. And you know now, of course, is a nationally celebrated political satirist, humor and a columnist who's, whose profile went, went way up during the Trump administration, but a, a great writer, funny lady. She is going to be joining us for Scanners. That... I think is going to be in the late part of August. So that might not be our next episode. So as to what will be our next episode, I, I think clearly it's baby secret of the lost legend. <laughs> I mean, so what other, what other choice is there? Well, if I, if I can find anything else that Patrick McGowan was, in. <laughs> he was very selective with his, uh, his roles in the latter day. Glenn has had to reluctantly acquiesce to doing a Braveheart episode because I feel like if people oh. know him from anything, they know him from Braveheart. Yeah. And he is a he is a truly dastardly villain. Yeah. Never seen it. Never seen it. Nope. Wow. Yep. See, you may have just talked yourself onto the Braveheart episode. <laughs> I don't know. Come on, guys. It's only it's only three hours long. Oh, for fuck's sake. Freedom. No, I, I understand that. That has a lot of murdering. Yeah, I, I, a lot of murdering. I do know it has a lot of murdering. All of the Mel Gibson movies of that era have a lot of people getting they, killed. Uh, yeah. That's why and, I didn't see a lot and, of them. And also a lot of Mel Gibson, which is... You know. I was going to say, I'm sort of... Right. It's sort of, you know, I, this is a somewhat tangential to something we were talking about earlier. I was recently informed that the uh, the great 90s uh, romantic comedy, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, has made yeah. it to HBO Max, yeah. which is wonderful for me, as it was one of my favorite rom-coms in the 90s. Mm-hmm. However the star of that has somewhat made himself difficult to watch. So uh, same thing with Mel Gibson. Right. I can no longer just enjoy my Lethal Weapon movies or or my Braveheart as as, uh, once I could. Correct. Um, 
yeah, or Tim. Is... <laughs> Tim is the film that was he made. That was I always saw the I always saw the cover of that oh, in the boy. video store. It's like an Australian film. It's what, I think it's his first film where he just plays this. Wow, is this this is mentally like challenged Mad Max? gardener? It's the... before Mad Max, I think. It's he's plays a mentally challenged oh, gardener who was always has his shirt off and um, yeah. Gosh. Tim, that was a, that was a poll. That was a poll. We'll we'll figure something out, and I'm sure I'll be back for a time to kill and for our Tim episode. No, no, never, nope. Not happening, Chris Clemick. No, You're going to have to round up some other fools for that. Oh, uh, okay. Well, we, we, we shall round up said fools and be seeing you. Be seeing you. So honored. Thank you so much, Linda. This was awesome. We should have an on-air thank you, though. We should we should say thank you on the part. Could you just clip that? Could you just clip that and just have like a little behind the scenes? I'm just going to leave this in. I think yeah, I'm just, just going to. Uh, yeah. Well, right. I appreciate it. Thank you, Linda. Oh, you're the best, Linda Holmes. <laughs> Everyone knows it. Absolute was conceived by Glenn Weldon and is produced by me, Chris Klemick. I wrote our goofy theme song, which was then arranged and beautifully performed by my dear friend Casey Aaron Clark, singing and playing keyboards, and her brother Jonathan Clark on guitar and percussion, with Marcus Newstead on the bass. Learn more about Casey at CaseyAaronClark.com or VitalVoiceTraining.com. Jonathan Clark's band Daybringer is on Bandcamp. You can find them there. And you can find us so many places. Write to the Citizens Advice Bureau at a degree absolute at gmail.com. Tweet us at not a number pod. Find us on Instagram at a degree absolute and on Apple, Stitcher, whatever platform you use to hear our show. If you leave us a five star review with your wildest prisoner take, we will read that take on a future episode. Thank you once again to Pop Culture Happy Hour co founder Linda Holmes. Her novel, Evie Drake, starts over comes highly recommended from us and is available everywhere. Finally, remember that Glenn's book, NPR's Podcast Startup Guide, is available now. An invaluable resource for practical, specific, easily executable podcasting advice from Glenn. You have to kind of set it up with all kinds of electrical equipment, and it's um, it's a whole thing. See, no for-profit enterprise would ever just give away trade secrets like that. That's why it's important to support public radio, friends. It's a degree absolute. absolute. Beware of s- stay clear of willow trees and old oaks and toadstool rings. Okay. Can you be a creature of the forest and not know the gump? Anyway, let's move on.